Well, I'm certainly thankful uh, to have this opportunity uh, to bring the Word of God to you. It's, it, it may not mean quite as much to you as it does to me, but this is the last sermon, at least um, live and, you know, where we're gathered, uh, that we're going to hear in uh, 2012. Um, if you get podcasts and things uh, and, and you listen to them in your car, you, you may hear a couple more uh, before New Year's Day. But this is the last time. And um, what God put in my heart to do is, is to bring you something about Jesus. I, I don't know what else to bring. If I had one message left in my life... If it's the last thing that I could talk about while I still had consciousness, and, and, and I think every pastor, every preacher, maybe every believer feels this way, we would speak of Jesus. And this is, this, as best we know, this is not the last day um, of our lives, but there is a sense in, in which we should live that way, God helping us. I, I don't know exactly how to do that, but if I think about it, um, I, I'm more likely to do it. And so when we see Jesus, everywhere we see him in the Bible, we see him on mission. And I'm not imposing that because I am the missions and, and communications pastor. It's just what it is. He was sent, and he came, and he went. He was on the go. He was not a savior who came down and gathered in a temple and invited people uh, to come and hear him. He didn't keep office hours. That's not Jesus. Jesus was among the people. He was walking. He was talking. He was teaching. He was ministering. You can see um, um, in Mark's gospel, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, but you see a microcosm, a small little world of his life in Mark chapter 1 and verses 35 through 38. Here's a little snapshot that is really what Jesus is all about. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus was a man of private, consistent, early, fervent prayer. That's who our Savior is. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. That's our Savior. He's a, he's a missional Savior. He, he is the missionary premier. He is the best. 
He was owned by it. That's what he was all about. And that's what he wants us to do the same thing. He says, I, as I have been sent, so I send you. And, and each in our own way, we want to be doing that. But in chapter 5, we find him on the move. He's been teaching parables. He, he, uh, these are like the seed parables. He talks about the sower. He talks about the, the progress of the seed growing. And he talks about uh, this tiny little mustard seed. And then he begins to show his power, how, how Mark describes it. He, he calms the storm this terrible storm, and, and, they, and his disciples wonder, who is this? And then, as we heard recently, after he shows his power over nature, he shows his power over evil, over the devil. Derek Minton preached a fine message on that, on, on, on that Gergesene demoniac with legion in him. I was so encouraged by that message. I have never met anybody who had a legion of devils in them. Christ saved a man. Christ transformed a man. Christ changed a man completely from the inside out, made him a new creature. I've never met such a sinner in my life. It gives me hope. It gives me tremendous hope. Because if he can do that great thing, he can do the lesser thing. Over and over. Well, we take it up then in, in, in Mark chapter 5, verses uh, 24 through 34. <clears throat> he's, he's, he's in this crowd, and, and we've got Jairus who falls at his feet and begs for Jesus' touch. You've got to come. You've got to heal my daughter. She's dying. She's on the brink of death. He, he, he does not have the faith of the Gentile Roman centurion who said, you don't have to even come. I'm not worthy of you to come under my roof. Come, uh, 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 just, just say the word, and, and my servant will be healed. Jesus is so condescending, so, so full of grace and mercy. He meets people where they are. Jairus thinks he has to come, and he's going to go. But as he's going, uh, there's an interruption, beginning with verse 24. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood. The uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible said, a bleeding woman for 12 years and who had suffered much under Many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in, in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the, blood of flow, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of, of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And, and the, the, the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? 
And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Well, here's the simple outline uh, that I'd like to bring to you tonight that, that I think we can hang everything on. It's a, it, it's, it's a simple four-point outline that comes right out of the text. What did not work or what was not working? What did work and always works? Number three, who is the worker? Who's working And number four, the glorious, joyous, privileged work that is yet to be done. Well, in verses 24 through uh, 26, uh, you see what didn't work and what wasn't working. And really, dear people, what never works in in a spiritual sense. We read there that, that he went with them and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians, much under many, wow, and had spent all she had and was no better, not an inch better. She was worse, it says. She had grown worse. She's got a multifaceted, serious problem. She's a woman... As we say, she's a bleeding woman, chronically, 12 years, 144 months. Can you imagine that? And she's not a woman that that just has a mood swing. We men feel compassion for our wives when they're in that time of, of, of their lives. We understand uh, we don't understand it, but we understand what, how we should act. <laughs> and we understand, well, we don't understand what's going on with them because we don't have that. But, but here's a woman, it says she's a suffering woman. W- William Lane, the exegetical commentator, says the Greek word is mastix, which means whip or lash or scourge. Or torment. It's actually translated in, in other places like that. She's not only a bleeding woman, but, but she has pain. It's not minor discomfort. It's not a mood change. It hurts. She, it's like being whipped or lashed. And now, on top of that, she is indigent. She is penniless. She spent all of her funds. She spent it all. And she was not getting better. The medical community could not help her. They were useless. She was paying for healing with many physicians over many years. A lot of money spent. All she had. She was no better. She was worse. This is a desperate situation. She is worsened physically and financially. And in addition, not to be overlooked or minimized in, in the slightest, as if this was not enough for a woman to suffer so chronically for so long in such pain, 
and having no money left and, and, and no telling what she went through with this medical community that, that, that did not help her, didn't help her one bit. She got worse. Don't overlook this. She was ceremonially unclean, according to Leviticus chapter 15 and verses 25 through 30. We won't turn there. But wherever she sat, whatever she touched, whatever touched her became unclean. She could not go to the temple. She was not allowed to enter it. Can you imagine... Can you imagine, I, I hope I'm not too graphic, but it really touches my heart. Can you imagine her laundry? Can you imagine what she had to wash all the time, week by week, month by month, year by year? This is her life. Nobody wants to touch her. Nobody wants to sit where she sat. Nobody wants to touch anything that she has touched. And she's an outcast. She's cast out. She can't even fellowship with people. She can't worship with others. She's all alone. She's hopeless. She's desperate. She's got nothing but a bleeding body. Doesn't your heart just break for this? This, this really happened. You, you, you've got to put yourself inside of her and see how, how wrecked and ruined her life was, how sad it was, perpetually unclean, defiled, unwelcomed, an outcast, cast out. Of course, what she represents spiritually, um, if we look at the analogous illustration, that's the way every sinner is. Every sinner is contaminated desperately, incurably so. Every sinner wastes his life, her life, his money, his efforts, and, and no sinner gets better. As, as they grow older, they, they don't get better. They get worse. They get worse and worse. Their hearts get harder and harder. I'm not saying necessarily they sin more and more and more blatantly, but, but they become more obdurate, more rock hard, more resistant. It's, it, it's, it, it is so hard to witness to a person who is so fixed in their sin and who told themselves all their lives, later, later, I'll, I'll do it later, thinking that they would get better. They grew worse. They got worse, and unless God interrupts it like he's, like he's going to do here, that's the way they'll be. They'll be a hopeless, helpless sinner. Well, nothing was working for her. Under number two, then, what did work? What does work? Hallelujah. What always works? Verses 27 through 29, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She's saying it to herself. She's thinking within herself. She's desperate. She's believing And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of 
of her disease. She heard about Jesus. Literally, she heard things concerning Jesus. Perhaps he was compassionate. Perhaps he had supernatural power. He was certainly an uncommon and unique man. She knew something about Jesus. And, and knowing it was not enough for her. It wasn't that she just knew it. She thought about it. She planned about it. She made up her mind about it. She intended to do something about it. She was not satisfied with just knowing it. And when you think of the crowd, you can think of it two ways. It, it was risky in this sense. Because no woman who had a flow of blood like that for 12 years would not be known by a lot of people. She would be talked about. They would say, stay away from her. Don't let her in the temple. Watch where she sits. Don't you sit there. Lots of people would know who she was. So she runs the risk of being in a crowd and bumping up against people that, that might recognize. Perhaps she went low. Perhaps she, you couldn't see her. her. Her face was to the ground. And she dressed differently. And she was able to squeeze through the crowd. At the same time, it might be advantageous too. We, I, we don't know the circumstance because Mark isn't going to tell us that because it's not that important. It's only important to the level that he says it is. But it might have been advantageous because she went unnoticed and she was able to get close to Jesus because she was so humble and so low and everybody else was preoccupied and they were not taking note of her. But she did that. She ran the risk. Her faith was driving her. In either case, for whatever reason, she was going to get to Jesus. And she did. And in verse 28, those precious words, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. That's all she felt she had to do. Just touch his robe. Just touch the bottom of it. Just touch it. That's great faith, isn't it? Think about it. She says, she's not saying, if if I could just embrace his ankles, if, if, if he would just hug me, if he would just touch me, if, if I could just look into his eyes. She came up behind him, is what it says in verse 27. Notice that. She comes up behind him. She reminds me so much of that Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 um, who, who wanted Jesus' help. She's a Gentile. Jesus tests her faith, the ultimate test. He, he almost seems cruel, but he's not. He's so good, he's going to bring out the goodness, the faith that's in the Canaanite woman. And he says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He indirectly, he implicitly calls her a dog. And this great woman of faith... A Gentile believer, she says, yes, Lord, yes, I am a dog. You're right, I'm a dog. Even the dogs eat the crumbs 
that fall from the master's table. What did Jesus say to her? Oh, woman, this is not my opinion. This is Jesus' opinion. This is my opinion now. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you according to your desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. How much of Christ do you need? How much do you have to get? How big is your faith? She says, a crumb is all I need of divinity. That's all I need is a crumb that a dog would lick off the floor. That's all I need. And and my daughter will be healed. He's so great. He's so wonderful. This lady says, oh, if if I just touch his garment, if I just reach out and touch it, that's all I just touch it, I shall be healed. John Stott says it could be translated, I shall be saved. It's the same expression. I shall be saved. So you see the strength of women just blows me away. I'm humbled by it. I'm, I'm rebuked by it. Their courage, their faith. Think of Mary, the mother of our Lord, that young teenage girl giving birth to God in the flesh. Think of Anna in, in the temple, that widow who, who spent her life praying and fasting. And when she saw Jesus in the arms of Simeon, she was able to go out and speak publicly to those who were gathered who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Think of Mary and Martha. Martha was a godly woman, I'm telling you. And so was Mary. Think of Mary Magdalene. They were the last at the cross, the first at the tomb, the first to proclaim the resurrection. He is risen. They're all women. Praise God for the grace, that feminine grace, that really knows no gender. The courage, the bravery, the faith of women. If, if we didn't have it, the, the world would be terribly faulting. We men would be without help if we didn't have a helper. That's what you are. A man who doesn't have a wife. For right now, you don't have help. You need help, <laughs> Stefan. You need help. <laughs> I hope you get help. <laughs> But what a, what a high role to be called to. Well, so she hears and she thinks and she believes and she comes and she touches. She is healed instantly. That's, that's, that's how salvation works. There's an instantaneous. If, if you reach out and touch the Savior by faith... If you turn from your sins and, and, with, and with, with full belief in, in him to pay for your sins, if you just reach out in touch, you'll be saved. That's what it is. The believing contact with Jesus in the case, even in the case of touching a garment, eating a crumb, like just lick a crumb. I can't get over that Canaanite woman. Great was her faith. So she feels it then, and she knows it, and she's happy inside. 
And um, all these things are going to come to her that she doesn't know. She's, um, she's wanting to steal away. She's so glad. She has such joy. She feels an attachment for the God-man that healed her. She has peace. Everything truly good has come to her. She's really, really glad. But, you know... She didn't, there was something that she did not anticipate. She anticipated healing, but she didn't anticipate what Jesus would do. She thought she'd come up behind him with all of her faith, with all of her trust, out of all of her desperation, touch his garment, and then and, and be healed and go home rejoicing, praising God and getting a whole new life and looking forward to seeing the priest and showing the evidence of her healing and being able to worship. She had all those things in mind. So we look at the third place, then. Who is the worker? What do we behold? It's Jesus. He's the worker. He's the one who stops. He's the one who turns. He's the one who makes inquiry. He, he has a special feeling within him. He's the one that apprehends a touch that was intentional, that had a heart in the touch, that had faith in the touch. The disciples don't understand it. You're asking who, who touched you? People bumping into you. No, that's not what he's talking about. He wants to teach them something. And he wants to teach the one who touched him something. He's such a savior, such a minister of the gospel, such a missionary, so contextualized, so intent on his father's glory. He, he's he's going to make an example of this so that we'll all know it and believe it and love it and revel in it. This was no ordinary happenstance, casual touch. It was the precious, priceless, purposeful touch of faith. And in verse 30, you see a, a, a Savior who responds immediately. In verse 32, you see a searching Savior. He's looking for her. And it's not, don't, don't think that he didn't know who she was. Don't think he didn't know uh, who Touched him. He knew who Nathaniel was before Philip found him under the fig tree. And then Nathaniel said, How do you, you know, how do you know me? And he says, I saw you. He knows all about it, but he wants to teach something here. He wants to show people his concern and, and his attachment. Above all, he is relational. He's not a magician. He's not a faith healer. That's not what he is. He's a relational savior. He wants to have contact with the one that was predestined from all eternity. Mark could have said that. That's not what he says. In verse 33, she has no choice but to answer. And she's afraid to answer for having been so unclean for so long. She's afraid of criticism. She's afraid of people saying, you bumped me on the way. And she's afraid of all kinds of things that, that should be unwelcomed, unreceived. She's been ostracized for 12 years. 
What does he say there in verse 34? Look at it. Look at it. Daughter. He says, daughter. That's what he calls her, a member of the family of God. Daughter. That's what he says to her. He, he, he wants to teach her that it's not the touch of the garment. It is the faith that has saved you. It's not the garment. It's the man who is wearing the garment. It is the Christ of the garment, not the garment, not even your touch, not even your hand coming out. It's your faith. It's your faith that saves you. And, and, and what's the last thing he says to her? What the last, everybody wants, everybody would love to have this. He says, go in peace. Hallelujah. Isn't, isn't that what everybody wants? Just, I just want peace. Christ is the prince of peace. He's the one who gives peace, not as the world gives it. He has an, his own special peace for us in every circumstance. We can find peace. Well, in the fourth place, then, what, what is the work to be done? What is the glorious, privileged, joyous work that is yet to be done? Well, notice the application. Number one, you see here what looks like an, an, an almost involuntary, passive, accidental sort of happening. It's as if Mark doesn't want to give us doctrine like that. He, he doesn't want to tell us what Jesus says. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. My father gave them to me. He gave them to me before the foundation of the world. I know every one of them. I know them by name. He, he, he knew her too. But you see the gospel here. This is the gospel that we have. This is the gospel that we can share. This is the gospel of healing, of peace, of relationship, of joy, of gladness, of forgiveness, of the promise of heaven and, and, and a new earth. This is the gospel that we have to share. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We've got to share it. We've got to live it. We've got to be holy people so that people will ask us for the hope that is within us. We've got to be cheerful. We've got to be joyous because we've been healed. We've been cured of worse than 12 years of bleeding. We've been helped. We've got to share that. That's the work that needs to be done. The intentional, heartfelt touch brings salvation. If you're lost here tonight, it's the only thing that stands between you and eternal bliss and the joy and the peace of believing and the healing and the forgiveness of your sins and a good night's rest and all of it, all that goes with it, strength for every duty, everything that we're called to do, that you get all of that. Just touch. Just reach out and touch him by faith. Put all your hope and your trust in him. I know it will take a divine work in your heart to do it. But you hear what I'm saying. You hear me now. You're making up your mind right now what you're going to do. You're deciding right now whether you're going to reach out and touch or not touch at all and, and, and keep on spending all that you have on frivolous things, on, on 
pleasures that will never satisfy you. No matter how much you accumulate, you'll never really be happy. Reach out and touch him. Touch him. And find joy and pleasure everlasting. You can have it for a touch. A touch is what keeps you from a great salvation. May God bring it to you. Notice in, in the second place, a work to be done. Can you see the power of prayer? Can, can you see the power of, of the prayer of her heart, of the confession of the desire of her heart? A secret inward thought, a hope, a prayer. Perhaps no one in the crowd even knew that she had been healed. Look at the result that, 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 that she got from her secret devotion to Jesus. Look what she got. What results came from her. The, the private prayer of a righteous person like Elijah. Elijah, who's just like we are. James wants us to know it, just like us. Just, just, just as we are. It avails much. And the example is he prayed that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three years. He prayed again and it rained. Ah, the last application. And then this is all about missions. It is what we want our, our church to be. I want to tell you something that I've learned, um, you know, from this perspectives class. It's a word of encouragement to you. And I, I can't give you the whole context because we, we don't have time. I'd like to keep the message to like 35 minutes. So I'm going to try to do that. There's this designation that's called the E scale. Uh, uh, Ralph Winter and, and some other famous guys have been able to identify something. E stands for evangelism. It, it stands for missions. An E1 person is a, is a person that lives within a culture and knows the culture, knows the lingo, knows the language, knows the history. And E1 is, is, is culturally connected almost perfectly. You all are all E1s. You are E1 evangelists. An E2, an E2 is an evangelist that, that goes to a place that is similar it's, it, it, it's, it's not a broad change. It, it, it will be like Michael Imadi and, and Ashley going to Ireland. It's similar, but, 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 but there are cultural differences. There's a different accent on the English. There's, the idioms are different. The way they say things, just ask Pastor Jonathan how his wife talks, and he's starting to talk like her too, if you haven't noticed that. He's, he's contextualizing. But, but that's E2. E3 is, is, is the radical change. It's going to, uh, in, in our case, perhaps to another hemisphere. It's, it's what Andrew Thornquist and Rebecca might do. It's, it's what Heath and Jessica Dame might do or plan to do. It's a radical difference. It, it, it's, it, it it's, it's a cultural context that's radically different. It's a whole different circumstance. A Romania might fit into that as, as well. But guess what? What is the most powerful 
witness? Is it E1, E2, or E3? I'll tell you what it is. It's E1. It's what you are already. It is the goal of E2 and E3 to produce E1s all over the earth. That's the plan. You should be greatly encouraged. You are E1. And if Dwayne can do it, he'll want to make the E3s where he goes with his wife. He wants to make them E1s that will share the word of God in the context in, in which they are so fluent and have so much access. Well, those are resolutions too, Pastor Ted. I really enjoyed your message this morning. It was wonderful. Such a sensitivity about the devil. Wow, I've got to think about that. I, I, I was frivolous, and I am not persecuted. As outspoken as I am, I, I don't get much persecution. Uh, maybe a snicker or a, a rejection, but uh, I'm not hurting for anything. I, 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 I would like to have that privilege if, if God will bring it. I'm afraid of it, though, aren't you? <laughs> wow. But look at these resolutions. Let's, let's do the, the, the private prayer more than ever in 2013. And let's see the results that God will bring. And, and, and let's be as missional as we can. E1. Get a t-shirt. I'm E1. I'm going to do my job here. I'll stop. Let's pray and, 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 and ask God to bless our time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who is at the very center of the good news of the gospel that we enjoy. We thank you for the example that he is in every way. But even more than that, we thank you for the healing power in every way, the principal way to wash away all our sins. We exalt the name of Jesus Christ who came into the world, saved sinners. This work is not done. We pray for E1, E2, and E3 missionaries all over the world. Make us E1s right here. Make us uh, to determine to get a relationship with someone and let us... Share your word, your purpose, your plan for salvation with them. Help us to pray now. Help this interview to go well. And help us to lift up our hearts and souls to the throne of grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand pleased to sing Woodless Smiths.